this is Take Notes with Jen Rafferty, where we move music education in new directions. I'm your host, Jen Rafferty, a music educator, author, and huge social science nerd. And I am so excited to go on this journey with you as we highlight the intersection between music education and the social sciences. Hello, and welcome back to Take Notes. My guest today is Guy Michel, also known as the Cello Assassin. Guy is a martial artist and a well-known professional cellist and has performed internationally throughout Ireland, France, South Africa, Spain, Portugal, and Haiti, where he's from, where he has also led music workshops. While he was trained in classical music, he had an interesting musical experience that took him on a different path, and the catalyst for this change happened to be at an open mic night. I came in with the confidence that I had years of experience, but I couldn't feel the music. I didn't know what that meant, because when I got there, everybody was like, um, towards the end of the, the usually the side is traditionally at the end of any um, open mic, there's a cipher where just um, everybody that performed just come on stage. Well, if you didn't perform, you're an artist, you just go on stage and then everybody start creating. So I'm sitting there looking around and I'm like, oh, I'm classically trained, but I'm, I, I'm, so, I'm so lost. Why can I play? I know how to play the instrument, but I didn't know how to play music. That makes sense. Um, so that was pretty much the catalyst of me getting into my nerd mode. And then I started looking up, look, looking up on YouTube on how to improvise. So I came across this guy who was amazing, very detail-oriented. And I started um, uh, playing along with different tracks to kind of like um, expand my vocabulary. Um, and then I actually reshifted the way that I, was start, that I started practicing my scales because I, I got so used to just, um, scales and arpeggios. Um, just going up and down and then playing arpeggios. But now I de- deconstructed it to basically if a scale has di- this amount of notes, how can I rearrange them in, in, in a unique way versus just the usual and how many octaves you are able to play. So I'm like, that, that had to have been more than just that. So I started, you know, just mixing and matching and that's how I got to where I am now. Before we get into the cool things that Guy is doing, I wanted to circle back to this question of musical identity. I often encounter incredibly talented musicians who don't consider themselves musicians simply because they are not classically trained or they don't know how to read music. Yet, here was Guy, a classically trained musician, feeling completely inadequate during this casual playing experience. I often consider this for myself, too, as a musician and as a teacher and the implications of this with my students. So what makes a musician? I've heard that a lot to this day when Ashley sold um, uh, an equipment to this guy yesterday. And he was like, he plays, but he's not a musician. I was like, I, it, it struck me. I was like, what do you mean? You play an instrument, therefore you're a musician. You are performing, therefore you're a musician. A musician is a person who plays music. So I think it's a whole stigma of if you're not classically trained, you're not educated. If you're not educated, you're not a musician. But a musician is somebody who understands music. It, it's just like saying um, somebody who's able to speak to me that they're not able to um, they're not able to talk because they don't understand 
they, they were not an English major. But I'm like, I'm having a conversation with you, whether I am, I was an English major or not. I understand that ABCs and I know how to put them together to, to create words and therefore communicate with you. And unfortunately, the sad truth is that the people who tell kids they can't play an instrument or sing are their music teachers. I've heard this story a million times. When I meet someone new and I tell them I'm a music teacher, I often hear this or something like it. Oh, wow. You know, I used to play the saxophone and I loved it, but Mr. So-and-so said I wasn't good enough, so I just thought music wasn't for me. So I quit and I regret it. I hear this all the time. And hopefully many teachers don't say it that explicitly, but sometimes it can be communicated in the culture of your programs. So while we say that music is universal and for everybody, truly ask yourself, do your programs reflect those values? Take a close look at the reason why the kids drop out. A lot of people say, oh yeah, I, I used to be um, subpar, but the minute I learned classical music, I became a true musician. What does that mean? So I thought that it was you, you, your understanding of what music is. Do you understand what F sharp is? It doesn't matter what, if you're studying classical jazz, whatever it is, you understand F sharp is F sharp. F sharp to G is a half step. Doesn't matter what, um, what genre, it's universal across the board. So it really doesn't matter whether you study classical or not. Um, the example that I always give where people get mad at me is, let's say a fighter. I'm a trained fighter. I study judo versus somebody who practiced taekwondo. So am I going to say that I'm not a fighter because I didn't uh, practice taekwondo? No. If I'm in a life-threatening situation, I could use my judo to my advantage. I, I'm a master in judo. Just because I didn't study Taekwondo doesn't mean that I'm not efficient in my art. But however, me deciding to practice Taekwondo will make me a better fighter because I have different skill set that I can incorporate together. So it's the same thing with music. I understand the basic of music, which is music theory. If I understand all these things, if I study classical and I study jazz now i'm a better musician as a result it's not because i studied one genre versus the other that makes me better it's me understanding so many different ones where i can just pick and choose and blend all of them together that's what makes me a better musician overall i studied classical but i understand hip-hop i understand a little bit of jazz i wouldn't call myself a jazz player because i didn't really go deep into it but I know enough genres, especially with coming up from Haiti, where there are so many different genres from the, something that we call compa to bossa nova to kind of like similar to soca and reggae. So I'm able to, to get booked in so many different areas because of my skill set. So I've done reggae parties. I've done African parties. I've done so many different, even Hispan uh, my wife is um, family is from Peru, so I understand a lot of that tradition. So I'm able to play that style as well. So now I'm able to be stretching, so, to call into so many different 
areas because of my understanding of so many different um, genres. This is good practice for anything you do. The more well-rounded you are, the better you can perform, which seems to be just one of the transfer skills of Guy's fighting training. After all, he is the cello assassin. I always say there are so many different similarities between martial arts and um, music. One, the discipline, because we do like the muscle memory. We do it over and over and over enough that we, we're not thinking about the where our finger position is. It's the same thing with uh, martial arts because we do the same movement over and over that we don't think about it. We just do combos. So I always thought it was interesting the way these things relate and, and, and in terms of the meditation um, with the breath work. Um, I started doing that with music. When I practice my long bow notes, it's the same thing to relax the shoulder, to avoid pain. So these are the things that I started really thinking about breath work because when you hold your breath when playing, you add tension to your body, which musicians practicing for so many hours at a time can be detrimental to our health. So these are the things where they intertwine, especially with music and movement, martial arts and movement, it's the same thing. You are moving in such a way to not add tension to the bow. And especially with martial arts, you don't want to be rigid. You don't want to be stiff. So everything is a fluid motion. Guy also shared another really important piece of this transfer from the fitness world to the music world. In martial arts, when we, when we teach people, everybody's body is made differently. So if I know that, not only that, we, people had different um, trauma. So you probably had metals, you probably had hip replacement, whatever it is. Everybody's body composition is different. So if I tell you to kick a certain way, I'm, I'm, doing you a, uh, I'm not doing you a favor to tell you that it has to be this way because your body may not function that way. So my job is to see the way you move naturally and just enhance your natural ability. That's what we call natural movement. So you, the way you move naturally, I'm just making you expert in utilizing your body to the best of your ability. So it's the same thing with music. Um, my job as a teacher is to ask you a million questions. When you go to the hospital, they don't just start analyzing you. They ask you family history. They ask you a bunch of, to understand. So when something happens to you, they know the probabilities of whatever, giving you the right medications and stuff. So it's the same thing. You are a doctor of music. Somebody want to learn music. What are your goals? What are you trying to do? Um, what's your, who do you listen to? What do you, there's so many different questions to understand what the person wants. And then from those questions, you create a package specific to the person because that way they will want to, they're going to want to play because now they're learning what they want to do. You can incorporate the technical term. Okay. Now I want to learn hip hop. I want to learn. I heard this Drake song that I really want to learn how to play. That's the, re the main reason why I'm, I decided to learn how to play the cello. Okay, now, ding, 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 Drake, listen to the song. What do you hear? I heard da-da-da-da-da. Okay, you know what that means? You go from da-da-da-da, you do an interval, uh, ear training. What does that mean? Okay, now, this one is an A minor. What does A minor mean? So you can actually add some theory to it. It doesn't have to be, oh my gosh, you gotta learn Schubert. 
And then that's the only way because the person never told you they want to learn, they wanted to specialize in classical music. They told you if you were listening that they wanted to learn their favorite songs on the radio. You can utilize that to incorporate theory. Now they're gonna they're gonna be a lot more interested in learning because they're trying to play their favorite songs. You can still teach them theory. What do you hear? Boom. Can you can you play that back? Boom, boom. You heard. In that song, what is that? What does that mean to you? So I think that's where most educators go wrong because they they're not thinking about the student; they're thinking about themselves. I want to teach you this because that's how it's done. But you clearly told me that you hate classical music or you hate jazz, whatever it is. But I'm going to teach you the things that you hate. So what's going to happen? the person is going to quit because they told you they hate the specific things you're trying to tell them. As music teachers, this requires us to think about our role as more of a facilitator of discovery and hopefully inspiration. If we want to foster lifelong learning, then there has to be a connection between the student and the music, and we get to help make that connection stronger. And that's how people can connect with a musical identity. It's like a DNA. When, if everybody has their own imprint so if john's betty becky put their fingers down you're gonna see 10 different fingerprints so now if i ask you to play c the only thing that i'm looking for is c to be in tune but the way 10 different players play c would should never never ever sound the same way because these are 10 different individuals. We all speak differently. We have different tones, different voice, different accents. So why do you want everybody to sound exactly the same way? If if you close your eyes right now, I mean, unless you're playing in in an orchestra because you want the uniformity, because you don't want to hear like a hundred different sounds. However, if I'm playing by myself, the first, the minute I play the first note, you should identify that with D. The, the worst compliment somebody can give me was, oh my gosh, you sound just like, I hate that. I really hate it because I'm like, I didn't do my job as was creating my own identity. I, I could be influenced by different artists, but at the end of the day, I had to have my own style, my own sound. I, I got called to do some cello coaching. Um, it was the, the, the highest level. And I was training the first and the second chair. And I asked them to play C, C scale, just to, to understand their um, reaction. They played it beautifully. I think three up to three or four octaves, which was spot on. So I was like, okay, now, what if I asked you to play the first octave, but different fingerings? They were stuck. I was like, okay, do a different figure because they're so used to just doing it one way. I was like, okay, now one octave. Can you start in fourth position and then work your way up? What, what do you mean? But I'm like, these are the notes in the first octave. Can you play them in, in another way? It, it was so crazy that they could not, the minute I took away their the traditional stuff, they could not even play one octave. To me, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a problem. There is a problem. And this is what gave Guy his inspiration to write his book, Master Your String Language, A Guide to Better Improvisation. 
as I started doing more coaching, then I realized how far these kids were or are now from being a true master of the instrument. And I was like, you know what? And it, it was my own journey to try to understand different ways, different patterns. It took me a while to really come up with the, the idea because um, I was like, I was out, the idea was um, from guitar players. So I came up with a system um, where you could kind of like pair scales, the same figuring, and just move up and down. So because when you're improvising, it's better to think in C than C flat because that becomes a lot more complicated to having, to, especially if you're playing fast and everybody's whatever. So it's much easier to think in simple terms and having to think of all these flats and sharps. So I was like, what if, what if there's a way to maximize the, the learning experience also to make it fun and not because a lot, when I ask a lot of people if skill was a thing, uh, a lot of musicians don't even practice their skills anymore because they find it tedious and boring. So I was like, what if there was a way to make it creative where there's, it's not the same thing, it's not redundant. So if I practice the same scale 50 times, I could play it in 50 different ways every single time. So there's always something, a new discovery because music is infinite, as you already know. So I'm like, why? I, I, I didn't want to just focus on, okay, now I got it, so I'm done. So therefore, I'm never going to practice my skills anymore because there's always a new combination that you can learn. So that's how I came across the Master Your String language because it is your language and it pretty much a God's improvisation. So the more you do it, the more you practice the skills in a broken down way, the more um, capable you will be to improvising because it's the same thing. You're improvising with the scale, you're mixing different notes and you stay with the beat. So therefore, when you hear a song, it's pretty much the same thing. If you practice in such a way, if you know the key, this, this song is in A minor. Now you've done A minor in so many different ways where you can just go in and out and make a song. What I do with, with the, um, my kids too after they play the scales, I was like, okay, now can you create a song with A minor? And I just stay on the, the root. I just play A. I was like, come up with something and make it sound musical. Songs are just scales mixed in different ways. I was like, that's pretty much what it is. When you hear a song in A minor, it's just all the notes in A minor with accidentals. Sometimes they add, just mix in and out of order that's basically what a song is so the more you practice that way practice with different rhythms different bowing articulation that's basically a song and the more you do it the more you're able to improvise improvisation used to be a scary word for me and now it just gives me some slight anxiety and if i really feel as if i'm in a safe place and maybe also feeling a little adventurous it can be a lot of fun but when I was younger, if I understood songs and improvisation the way Guy just described it, I think I'd have a much healthier working relationship with improvisation. So as we ended our time together, I asked Guy to tell me about his dream for the future of music education. The way to judge won't be on how perfect you could play a piece, but your interpretation of the piece. 
um, your creativity in telling a story. Um, basically, music education will be learning the, the whole aspect and giving people the, the, the liberty of specializing in one area, just like the medical field. You learn general medicine, and then if you want to be an uh, ophthalmologist, then you decide to go into that. So in a perfect world, you study music, study everything related to music, and whatever you decide to specialize in, you go deeper into that. And then you would get judged not on how perfect you play a song, but how creative you play a song. So we see it in art. When you go to an art museum, somebody just paints one stroke of paint of red, but they tell a whole story about it. And so to, to the untrained eyes, you see just a red line. But somebody who's like, they, when they tell your story, you're like, hmm. Eventually, that kind of makes sense. Um, why did you play this? That's where the questions come. Even if you don't agree with the person's interpretation because they're not yours, you ask follow-up questions. If that makes sense and the way they played it makes sense to their explanation, then that's creative because music is art and science at the same time. So, but we focus on the science part, but not the art part. Can you play this perfectly? Mozart, everything is in tune. Pitch was good. Articulation was good. But you were a robot. You just stood there. That's the science part. The art part, did you tell a story with your playing? So if you're able to explain that, then that's how you get judged. And if everybody had the same piece, it would there are 10 auditions, like I said, it should be 10 different interpretations. That's how you would get judged. If you took the time to obviously play it in tune, but also tell a story. And that to me is the crux of what we do as artists. We are storytellers. And whatever our medium is, we have an abundance of tools to communicate with our audience. And it will be different for every artist. And as music teachers, we get to help our students discover their sound and a point of view so they can create their own art. How cool is that? Guy was so incredibly joyful to talk to, and I am a huge fan of his playing, particularly all of the TikTok duets that he does. So make sure to check him out on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Guy Michelle Music. His website is guimichellemusic.com, and you can get text updates about where he is performing if you text the number 786-220-3568, and you can find all of these links in the podcast notes. If you like today's episode, leave a review and share with a friend. Until next time, this is Jen Rafferty. Have a wonderful day. This podcast was brought to you by Jen Rafferty Music, cover art by Molly Reagan and Good Neighbor Art, and music by John Kiefner.